This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of knee dislocation from the trauma section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Knee dislocations are high-energy traumatic injuries characterized by a high rate of neurovascular injury. Diagnosis is made clinically with careful assessment of limb neurovascular status. Radiographs should be obtained to document reduction. Treatment is generally emergent reduction and stabilization with assessment of limb perfusion followed by delayed ligamentous reconstruction. Now let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, the incidence of knee dislocation is rare, making up only 0.02% of orthopedic injuries. However, this is likely underreported as approximately 50% self-reduce and are misdiagnosed. In terms of demographics, there is a 4 to 1 male to female ratio. In terms of location, knee dislocations take place in the tibiofemoral articulation, otherwise known as the knee joint. As far as risk factors, morbid obesity is a risk factor for ultra-low energy knee dislocations with activities of daily living. Moving on to pathophysiology, the mechanism of injury for a knee dislocation is differentiated between a high-energy versus low-energy injury. High-energy is usually from a motor vehicle collision, crush injury, fall from a height, or dashboard injury resulting in axial load to a flex knee. Low energy may be from an athletic injury or routine walking. Hyperextension injury leads to anterior dislocations. Finally, a posteriorly directed force across the proximal tibia, such as in the case of a dashboard injury, leads to posterior dislocations. Associated injuries with knee dislocations can include vascular injury, nerve injury, specifically this is usually a common perineal nerve injury with a 25% incidence, and tibial nerve injuries, although these are less common. Other associated injuries can include fractures, which are present in 60% of dislocations, and soft tissue injuries like patellar tendon rupture, periarticular avulsion, and displaced menisci. Now let's go over some relevant anatomy. We'll go over osteology, ligaments, blood supply, and biomechanics of the knee joint. So in terms of osteology, the knee is a ginglomoid joint and consists of tibiofemoral, patellofemoral, and tibiofemoral articulations. As far as ligaments, the PCL, ACL, LCL, MCL, and posterolateral corner are all at risk for injury during a knee dislocation. Remember that the ligaments are the main stabilizers of the knee given the limited stability afforded by the bony articulations. In terms of blood supply, popliteal artery injuries often occur due to tethering at the popliteal fossa. Remember that proximally you have the fibrous tunnel at the adductor hiatus, and distally you have the fibrous tunnel at the soleus muscle. The geniculate arteries may provide collateral flow and palpable pulses, masking a limb-threatening vascular injury. In terms of knee biomechanics, the normal range of motion is 0 to 140 degrees with 8 to 12 degrees of rotation during flexion extension. Now let's go over the classification of knee dislocations. The descriptive classification is known as the Kennedy classification, which is based on the direction of displacement of the tibia. There's also the Schenck classification, which is based on a pattern of multiligamentous injury in knee dislocations. So starting with the Kennedy classification, which again is based on the direction of displacement of the tibia, this is divided into anterior, posterior, lateral, medial, and rotational. Anterior dislocations make up 30 to 50% of knee dislocations. So this is the most common. This is due to a hyperextension injury, usually involves tearing of the PCL, and an arterial injury is generally an intimal tear due to traction. This also has the highest rate of perineal nerve injury. Posterior dislocations make up 30 to 40% of knee dislocations and is the second most common. This is due to axial load to the flex knee, which is seen in a dashboard injury. Posterior dislocations have the highest rate of vascular injury as 25% of posterior dislocations have a vascular injury based on the Kennedy classification. 
Posterior dislocations have the highest incidence of a complete tear of the popliteal artery. Moving on to a lateral dislocation, which makes up 13% of knee dislocations, this is due to a varus or valgus force and usually involves tears of both ACL and PCL. Medial dislocations make up 3% of knee dislocations and is secondary to a varus or valgus force and usually involves disruption of the posterior lateral corner and PCL. Finally, moving on to rotational injuries, these make up 4% of knee dislocations. These are usually irreducible. Posterolateral is the most common rotational dislocation, and these injuries involve buttonholing of the femoral condyle through the capsule. Moving on to the Schenck classification, this is based on a pattern of multiligamentous injury in knee dislocations, and is specifically based on the number of ruptured ligaments. This is divided into five types, KD1, KD2, KD3, KD4, and KD5. KD1 corresponds to a multiligamentous injury with the involvement of the ACL or PCL. KD2 involves injury to the ACL and PCL only, so only two ligaments. A KD3 involves injury to the ACL, PCL, and posteromedial corner or posterolateral corner, so that is three ligaments in total. KD3 can be further subdivided into KD3M and KD3L, where KD3M involves ACL, PCL, and MCL, while KD3L involves ACL, PCL, posterolateral corner, and LCL. A KD4 involves injury to the ACL, PCL, posteromedial corner, and posterolateral corner, so involves four ligaments, and this has the highest rate of vascular injury, with 5 to 15% of cases having vascular injury. Finally, a KD5 corresponds to multiligamentous injury with periarticular fracture. Moving on to presentation of knee dislocations, symptoms include history of trauma and deformity of the knee, as well as knee pain and instability. Moving on to physical exam, as far as appearance, there may be no obvious deformity or an obvious deformity. With respect to no obvious deformity, remember that 50% spontaneously reduced before arrival to the ED. These patients may present with subtle signs of trauma, like swelling, effusion, abrasions, and or ecchymosis. In the setting of obvious deformity, reduce these injuries immediately, especially if there are absent pulses. A quote-unquote dimple sign corresponds to buttonholing of the medial femoral condyle through the medial capsule. This is indicative of an irreducible posterolateral dislocation and is a contraindication to close reduction due to risks of skin necrosis. Moving on to vascular exam, the priority is to rule out vascular injury on exam both before and after reduction. Serial examinations are mandatory and make sure to palpate the dorsalis pedis and posterior tibial pulses on the injured and contralateral side. If the pulses are present and normal, this does not indicate the absence of arterial injury. Collateral circulation can mask a complete popliteal artery occlusion. Be sure to measure the ankle brachial index, or ABI, on all patients with suspected knee dislocation. If the ABI is greater than 0.9, then monitor with serial examination, which has 100% negative predictive value. If the ABI is less than 0.9, perform an arterial duplex ultrasound, or CT angiography. If arterial injury is confirmed, then consult vascular surgery. If pulses are absent or diminished, confirm that the knee joint is reduced or perform immediate reduction and reassessment. Keep in mind that immediate surgical exploration should be carried out if pulses are still absent following reduction. An ischemia time of greater than 8 hours has an amputation rate as high as 86%. Remember that imaging is contraindicated if it will delay surgical revascularization. If pulses are present after reduction, then measure ABI, then consider observation versus angiography. On neurologic exam, assess sensory and motor function of perineal and tibial nerve as nerve deficits often occur concomitantly with vascular injuries. In terms of stability, diagnosis is based on instability on physical exam. 
that is radiographs, and gross appearance may be normal. As far as stability, diagnosis is based on instability on physical exam. Keep in mind that radiographs and gross appearance may be normal. In these patients, you may see recurvatum when held in extension, and be sure to assess the ACL, PCL, MCL, LCL, and posterolateral lateral corner. Moving on to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include a pre-reduction AP and lateral of the knee. Recommended views include a pre-reduction AP and lateral of the knee, as well as post-reduction AP and lateral of the knee. A pre-reduction AP and lateral of the knee may be normal if there is spontaneous reduction. Be sure to look for asymmetric or irregular joint spaces. Also look for avulsion fractures, like a Sagan sign, which is a lateral tibial condyle avulsion fracture. And also look for osteochondral defects. Optional views include a 45-degree oblique if there is a fracture suspected. A CT scan is indicated if there is a fracture identified on post-reduction plane films. Be sure to obtain a post-reduction CT for characterization of the fracture. Findings can include tibial eminence, tibial tubercle, and tibial plateau fractures that may be seen. An MRI should be obtained after acute reduction but prior to hardware placement. This is required to evaluate soft tissue injury, like ligaments and or the meniscus, and for surgical planning. Moving on to treatment for knee dislocations, this can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes emergent close reduction followed by vascular assessment slash consult and immobilization as definitive management. So emergent close reduction followed by vascular assessment slash consult is indicated in all patients as this is considered an orthopedic emergency. A vascular consult is indicated if pulses are absent or diminished following reduction and if there's arterial injury confirmed by arterial duplex ultrasound or CT angiography. In terms of immobilization as definitive management, indications for this are rare, but can be indicated in successful close reduction without vascular compromise. However, most cases require some form of surgical stabilization following reduction. In terms of outcomes, there are worse outcomes seen with non-operative management, and know that prolonged immobilization will lead to loss of range of motion with persistent instability. Operative options include open reduction, external fixation, and delayed ligamentous reconstruction slash repair. Open reduction is indicated for an irreducible knee, posterolateral dislocation, open fracture dislocation, obesity, as these reductions may be difficult to obtain closed, and open reduction is also indicated in the setting of vascular injury. External fixation is indicated in the setting of vascular repair, which takes precedence, open fracture dislocation, compartment syndrome, obese patients if it's difficult to maintain reduction, and in a polytrauma patient. Finally, moving on to delayed ligamentous reconstruction slash repair, instability will require some kind of ligamentous repair or fixation. Know that patients can be placed in a knee immobilizer until treated operatively. Improved outcomes are seen with early treatment, that is within three weeks. Now, let's talk about some of these management techniques in a bit more detail. We'll go over closed reduction, open reduction, and early ligamentous reconstruction. So starting with closed reduction, the approach for an anterior dislocation is traction and anterior translation of the femur. In a posterior dislocation, you will use traction, extension, and anterior translation of the tibia. In a medial slash lateral dislocation, you will use traction and medial or lateral translation. And finally, in a rotatory dislocation, you will use axial limb traction and rotation in the opposite direction of the deformity. Splinting should be done in 20 to 30 degrees of flexion. Moving on to open reduction, the approach will be a midline incision with a medial parapetellar arthrotomy. As far as the soft tissues, the medial capsule may need to be pulled over the medial condyle if buttonholed. Acute associated soft tissue injuries like patellar tendon rupture, periarticular avulsion, or displaced menisci may benefit from acute repair. In terms of bone work, 
periarticular fractures may be fixed acutely or spanned with an external fixator depending on surgeon preference. Finally, in terms of instrumentation, place a knee-spanning external fixator in 20 to 30 degrees of flexion with the knee reduced in AP and sagittal planes. Finally, in terms of early ligamentous reconstruction, which is defined as less than three weeks out, the approach can be done arthroscopic versus open. Arthroscopic may not be possible if there's a large capsular injury, as this creates a risk of fluid extravasation and compartment syndrome. Remember that the posterior lateral corner and posterior medial corner require open reconstruction given the subcutaneous nature and proximity to the neurovascular structures. In terms of soft tissue work, you can do an arthroscopic reconstruction of the ACL and or PCL. Be sure to address intraarticular pathology like menisci, cartilage defects, and or capsular injury. Finally, you can do an open repair versus reconstruction of collateral ligaments. In terms of outcomes, acute reconstruction, defined as less than three weeks out, has been shown to lead to improved clinical and functional outcomes. Now, let's talk about complications of knee dislocation. We'll go over vascular compromise, stiffness or arthrofibrosis, laxity and instability, and perineal nerve injury. So in terms of vascular compromise, the incidence is 5 to 15% in all dislocations, and 40 to 50% in anterior or posterior dislocations. As far as risk factors, KD4 injuries, according to the Schenck classification, have the highest rate of vascular injuries. Treatment should include emergent vascular repair and prophylactic fasciotomies. Moving on to stiffness or arthrofibrosis, in terms of incidence, this is the most common complication, making up 38% of cases. As far as risk factors, this is more common with delayed mobilization. In terms of treatment, avoid stiffness with early reconstruction and motion. However, if this can't be done, other treatment includes arthroscopic lysis of adhesion and manipulation under anesthesia. As far as laxity and instability, in terms of incidence, there's 37% of some instability, however, redislocation is uncommon. Treatment includes bracing and revision reconstruction. Finally, in terms of perineal nerve injury, as far as incidence, there's a 25% occurrence of a perineal nerve injury, and know that 50% recover partially. Risk factors include anterior dislocations. Treatment includes an AFO to prevent equinus contracture. Treatment also includes neurolysis or exploration at the time of reconstruction, nerve repair or reconstruction or tendon transfers if chronic nerve palsy persists, and know that dynamic tendon transfer involves transferring the posterior tibial tendon or PTT to the foot. Finally, in terms of prognosis, complications are frequent after knee dislocations and rarely does the knee return to a pre-injury state. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, a 42-year-old female sustains a knee dislocation after being involved in a fall from a roof. She has palpable pulses and an ankle brachial index of 0.92, but several attempts at close reduction are unsuccessful. Physical exam reveals a puckering sign of the distal thigh. Which of the following is the most appropriate next treatment option? And the choices are one, repeat attempt at close reduction in the emergency room, two, placement of a tibial traction pin, three, open reduction with vascular repair or bypass, four, reduction in the operating room, and five, open reduction and ligament reconstruction. The correct answer to this question is four, reduction in the operating room. So this patient has an irreducible knee dislocation with a pucker sign and should be taken to the operating room for re-attempted close reduction and possible open reduction. Evidence of skin puckering with unsuccessful attempts at close reduction generally indicates that the femoral condyle is buttonholed through the soft tissue structures, 
leaving skin and subcutaneous tissues entrapped between the femoral condyle and the joint cavity. These injuries often require open reduction, but attempting closed reduction in the operating room is acceptable prior to proceeding with open reduction. An ankle brachial index, or ABI, of less than 0.9 is suggestive of a vascular injury. Rin et al. provided a review of the acutely dislocated knee joint. They report that expeditious treatment is needed as knee dislocations are associated with vascular injuries. Wand describes the skin puckering sign that denotes the irreducibility of a knee dislocation. Wand reports that the puckering sound requires open reduction of the knee dislocation. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, repeat closed reduction in the ER is not indicated if unsuccessful the first time. Answer 2, placement of a tibial traction pin is not appropriate as this would potentially complicate future surgical interventions and would not address the dislocation or the buttonholing of the femoral condyle. Answer 3, vascular repair is not indicated with a normal ABI. And finally, answer 5, ligament reconstruction should not be performed acutely without knowledge of the injury pattern. Reduction and imaging of the knee are indicated first. And moving on to the final question, a 40-year-old male presents with an anterior knee dislocation with an associated posterior medial plateau fracture after a fall from a height. He undergoes closed reduction with sedation in the trauma bay. The house staff who initially evaluated the patient does not recall if the patient had palpable pulses prior to reduction, but does state that the foot felt cool. Following closed reduction, he has palpable dorsalis pedis pulses and brisk capillary refill. His knee is able to be flexed to approximately 60 degrees prior to any clinical instability. AP and lateral x-rays of his knee demonstrate a congruent reduction in a knee immobilizer. His ankle brachial index, or ABI, is 0.95. What is the appropriate next step in the treatment of this patient? And the choices are 1. CT angiogram, 2. Serial clinical examination, 3. Knee spanning external fixation and vascular exploration, 4. Arteriography, and 5. Immediate ligament reconstruction. The correct answer to this question is 2. Serial clinical examination. So serial examination is an appropriate next step in the management of this patient with a knee dislocation with associated tibial plateau fracture. After limb alignment was restored, the patient has adequate distal flow clinically and an ABI of greater than 0.9. It is critical to evaluate for the presence of vascular injury in patients presenting with knee dislocations. The first priority should be reduction of the dislocation to restore limb alignment prior to proceeding with advanced imaging or invasive procedures. Once alignment has been restored, patients without hard signs of vascular injury, like an expanding hematoma or a cool and pulseless limb, should be evaluated using the ankle brachial index. Mills et al. prospectively evaluated 38 patients presenting with knee dislocation, utilizing the ABI as a screening tool for vascular injury. The authors found that an ABI of less than 0.9 predicted clinically relevant vascular injury with 100% sensitivity, that is, in 11 of 11 patients. Those patients with an ABI of greater than 0.9, with an N equal to 27, had no evidence of vascular injury on serial examination. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, CT angiogram, is not indicated in this patient with no clinical evidence of vascular injury and an ABI of greater than 0.9. Answer 3. The patient may require knee-spanning external fixation if his knee is grossly unstable or reduction cannot be maintained in a brace, however vascular exploration is not indicated. Answer 4. Formal arteriography is not indicated as there is no evidence of vascular injury. And finally, answer 5. This patient will likely require ligamentous reconstruction, however the next appropriate step in treatment is monitoring for changes in vascular status and compartment syndrome. 
That's all for this review about knee dislocation. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.